There's a few swear words in this episode, so if young ears are around, turn it down or listen later. Hello? Hey there? Hello. I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know if you can hear me. Oh, let's try again. Hello? Hello. How are you? So I've actually talked about this with my mates um, because I've found that the longer that this has gone on, I find it harder and harder to fit back in. They, they teach you these things when, uh, when, uh, when you train with the Navy or uh, they teach you this how to manage stress and, and responsibility. And uh... Maybe don't get sat on by an elephant seal. That would be a bad way to go. Oh, that definitely would be. <laughs> this is the final episode of From Afar, a podcast that explores long-distance love. I'm Laura Uden and I'm in Darwin with my kids Matilda and Saxon. At the moment, my husband Sean is on a ship, the Everest, in the Southern Ocean around 1,500 nautical miles from land, trying to outrun a massive storm. A few days ago, there was a pretty serious fire in one of the engine rooms of the ship. I haven't heard from Sean for almost two days, and not knowing what's happening down there is really hard. Hopefully he'll ring back. Things go through your mind. Lots of what ifs. Lots of prayers. Lots of scenarios. What if this happens? What's going to happen if the weather's really bad? So lots of what ifs. Anyway, I've got to um, I've got to trust in the Australian Antarctic Division and and the crew on the ship, and just believe that they'll get home safely. It's now been out in the media that there's been a fire on the ship, so I feel like I can talk about it to some people more. I let. Sean's family know today and my family as well Uh, so there were you know a couple of sort of hard phone calls wanting to reassure them but at the same time I feel quite scared there's still a really long way from Australia Although I speak to our families, they're in Victoria, on the other side of the country. So they can't give me a cuddle or share a cover as we wait to hear from Sean. So feeling at a loose end, not quite sure what to do as I wait, I find myself wandering back over to my neighbour Vicky's. We heard from her in episode four, and since chatting with her, I haven't been able to get it out of my head that, as a widow... Every single day she lives the epitome of loving someone from afar. 
Well, when Lenny passed, it was surreal. I didn't believe he'd gone, but then I, um, you do adapt. I adapted and I just do everything that we did. I'm still doing with friends and um, it's something, well, for me, it's when Lenny passed away, I, it was, people were saying, you're holding up really well, Vic, you know, but it was, I hadn't accepted the fact that he'd gone, I think, and uh, it takes a long time to get over to, uh, then you realise, oh, yep, he's gone, and, but you do survive, you do survive. I still cry, I still have my moments. And do you still feel connected to Lenny or, or do you do certain things to try and keep that feeling of connection? Oh no, he's around. I know he's around. Yeah. Because he's helped me out in so many things. And I know he's there. I know he's he's telling me what to do. When Lenny passed, I had a girlfriend with me uh, uh, who stayed with me that night. And when we were walking into my house, she said, Vicky, there's a butterfly and it's following you. A beautiful butterfly. And I looked and, and there was a butterfly and she said, that's Lenny. And so every time I see a butterfly, I say, g'day, Len. Or if I'm mowing the lawn and there's a butterfly around, I say, Lenny, am I doing it right? <laughs> is everything good? <laughs> I just, a butterfly to me is Lenny. What a brave woman. Could I be so brave? Could I adapt and survive? Am I being ridiculous even contemplating these thoughts? But Sean is on a ship that's been damaged by fire over a week away from help in 10 metre seas, making their way to the closest port Fremantle. Maybe I'm not being ridiculous. I can't get through to him on WhatsApp, which is how we've been communicating the whole time he's been away. Three months now. The waiting to hear from him sucks my reserves of strength. I keep my phone with me all the time, willing it to ring. Then late one night, after the kids are asleep. How are you, love? Good. Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, everything's all right. Goodness. 
The relief of hearing Sean's voice and knowing they'd made it past that huge storm hits me. And then all the pent-up tension gives way. Although I keep my voice light on the phone, trying not to add any extra worry or pressure to Sean, I start to feel physically sick and really, really tired. I spoke to Sean last night and for the first time he sounded um, quite low. Uh, He, I'm assuming, has also been running on adrenaline the last few days and it might sound dramatic or over the top, but it, it was really scary. And it's really scary to, to be faced with that. The good news is that the Everest will be met by a support vessel to escort it home. But it's still at least a week until they hit dry land. And keeping our excitement in check is a bit tricky. So we go with distraction instead. It turns out that one of Sean's shipmates is a bit of a celebrity with the primary school set. The kids' current affairs show, BTN, or Behind the News, recently featured AAD expeditioner Sharon Labutter. She's the current Voyage Resupply Coordinator. Matilda and Saxon are thrilled to discover Sharon is on the Everest with Sean, and they have a bunch of questions for her. They think she's pretty cool. And secretly, so do I. Sharon, give us a little bit of a background of um, your time going to Antarctica. How long have you been going down and, um, and what sort of roles have you had coming down here? Well, I've been coming to Antarctica since around 2002. I've been very lucky to work in many different roles. So I started my first time as a diesel mechanic. So I did a winter Um, actually two winters at Davis Station. Then I progressed to like aircraft ground support officer and gradually through the years we've done like deep field leader, um, voyage leader, deputy voyage leader, operations coordinator and jobs like that. Awesome. Um, Now, my kids, as I said before, think that you're world famous because you've been on BTN and they've got a list of questions here for you. How fast is a penguin? Very fast. (laughs) You should see their little legs go across the ground. You wouldn't think they'd go that fast, but then they flop down on their belly. They're faster on their belly than on their feet, aren't they? They are. Yep, it's quite surprising when you see them scooch along. What's the most dangerous spot in Antarctica? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) I think think anywhere could be, you know, dangerous as it's all so remote, but I guess the more inland go or the further away you go from anyone else, I guess naturally the more dangerous it gets. What is the coldest place in Antarctica? Ah, the coldest recorded temperature in Antarctica is at Vostok, a Russian base, and I think from memory it was something like minus 89.2 or something degrees Celsius, so pretty cold. How much rain do you get in Antarctica? Well, Antarctica actually is a classed as a desert, so it's actually the coldest, highest, driest, windiest continent. So I don't think they have much rainfall at all, really. Yeah, wow. And what causes an aurora? Uh, they're pretty amazing. It's great to see the auroras. And apparently the auroras are formed by particles from the sun hitting the highest, thin outer parts of the atmosphere. And you'll get different colours in the auroras, and that's due to the different atoms that will glow at different colours. 
Wow. What are the 10 most dangerous animals? One good thing in Antarctica, we don't have too many um, dangerous animals. We don't have polar bears or anything like that. Um, but some of the ones like, I'd say, leopard seals, they look dangerous. They've got pretty big teeth. Um, you wouldn't want to get too close to those. The penguins and stuff, the little Adelis, they can have a bit of an attitude sometimes. <laughs> they do. They definitely got a bit of attitude. Um, apart from that, I think most of the other animals down there are pretty friendly, really. Yeah. yeah. They're sort of um, not used to humans, so they're curious, so they come and check you out without hurting you, really, though, don't they? That's right. The only ones I've seen with real big teeth are those leopard seals, and you definitely want to keep your distance from them. Maybe don't get sat on by an elephant seal. That would be a bad way to go. Oh, that definitely would be. (laughs) Sean calls and messages a few times a day now, thankfully, and the awful couple of days just waiting seem like a bad dream. Yes, been a very difficult week. As the ship gets closer to port, with the reassurance of calm seas and an escort vessel preparing to meet the ship, life starts to return to normal and Sean makes a mental shift to enjoy his last few days at sea. I had tears in my eyes when I heard this diary entry after everything they'd been through. Oh my goodness, that's a night that will stay in my mind forever. The aurora just started from one horizon and flared all the way to the other horizon and danced across the sky and changed formations of vivid green, little bits of pink, scattered curtains and it evolved and changed and danced in the most amongst the most vividly black sky with amazingly shiny stars scattered and I was on the halley deck which is above the bridge of the ship with a handful of people just gobsmacked at the spectacle and it will definitely stay with me forever. Realising he'd be home soon and life would go back to normal, Sean took his recorder everywhere with him on the ship, capturing as many sounds and stories as he could. I wonder if the recorder actually helped him, giving him a reason to go to different places on the ship, an excuse to talk to people, and something concrete to do to keep his mind busy. Sean's pretty happy when the master of the Everest agrees to have a chat up on the bridge of the ship as her nose points towards home. 
Okay, so my name is Jan Dobrogowski. Where's your home port? I'm obviously Polish, as you can or you cannot gather from my accent. And uh, this is where I live at the moment, in, in the north of the country, on the Baltic Sea, uh, in a place called Gdańsk, where, for instance, Fahrenheit comes from. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you got a lot of family there? Or who's, who's the loved ones that you keep contact with on the ship? Yeah, my family is fairly scattered. They've got family in, in Poland, and I've got uh, some fa- family in South Africa and in Sweden. And uh, yeah, I've got my girlfriend Mags, and uh, she's um, her picture, picture of her is hanging there on a bulkhead. Yes, yes. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've got my mum who uh, is trying to her words, not mine. Trying to not to die before I get back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so she's done a good job on that. Uh, So what are some of your favourite ports or favourite places around the world? You know, you like various places for for various different reasons, yeah, and uh, it's really hard to compare, say, um, you know, beautiful wilderness of of Flores Island in in Indonesia with uh, New York. You know, these places are so different also it's, it's hard to compare Spitsbergen with its Arctic beauty and um, and the Brazilian Amazon, for instance. But um, if we're talking about like places inhabited by people, my hometown at the moment, Gdańsk, is um, one of the coolest places on earth. Way high up there, you know, uh, together with places like Copenhagen and Amsterdam. Gdańsk is definitely very, very cool. And uh, I was very lucky to go to, to, to your town, to Darwin, back in the day on a, on a sailing ship called the Concordia. And although I didn't get to spend too much time over there, like the, the experience in Darwin for its openness, how easy it was to talk to people and, you know, were invited to their houses. I really like Darwin. And this is, so, so Darwin was the p- first place I ever visited in Australia. So I must say it was a little bit frontierish as well, is it, is it fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it but I loved it. Yeah, good. Well, it is only a very small population. And if ever you come to town, you've got to look me up. We'll take your fish in. Yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Um, Do you feel the weight of being the master of a massive team, a big ship, a lot of people? Um, Yeah, I definitely feel the weight of it. I try try to be very humble about it. They they teach you these things when when you train with the Navy. They teach you this thing, how to manage stress and and responsibility. And uh, I I try try to manage in such a way so it doesn't keep you from my sleep. But it's definitely at the back of my head at all times because when you're an officer... You close the door to your cabin and go down to the mess room to talk to your mates, and all the worries out of out of your head. You see, we're a captain, then um, you, you're basically um, burdened with. Uh, to, um, it's important to be able to uh, box it up, you know, and and um, manage it. Otherwise, it might be very very hard. I feel like I've trained all my life for that, so. I just try to do the best job I can and uh, use all my training and. Um, deal with the situations as they come and if uh, King Neptune allows, we're going to see through it, you know, and everything's going to be all right. I can't imagine the stress Captain Jan must have endured over the past week. Got me thinking about all the people on the ship and the different reasons they're all together, experiencing the highs and lows of life at sea. And how they must be feeling as they prepare to arrive home after such an epic trip away. Today's the 13th of the 4th. 
Tuesday, and uh, we're just coming up to the Port of Fremantle. So, my bags are packed, and um, just super excited to be getting close to the end of our journey. And there's a real um, sense of excitement around the ship. People are wandering around the decks. Lots of people using their phones. We've just got our phone reception for the first time in months and um, people are smiling away and in uh, t-shirts and shorts chasing the sun and talking to their families it's um, yeah it's a funny um, feel on the ship of just come on let's hurry up and get in there and I've spoken to Laurie just before and um, I think they're feeling the same way as me just the hours are going slow and we just can't wait to see each other so what a massive massive i don't know trip all right guys let's go how exciting yeah really exciting really exciting all right we're walking through the airport the two kids have got their posters i'm freezing oh okay it's cold (laughs) in here (laughs) what else are we feeling excited Cold and excited. <laughs> Posters up. Ooh. Saxon's run ahead. Okay, let's get prime position. Put your poster up. It's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Big smiles. Okay. All right, can't be long now. I put the recorder away now. This moment is just for us. Although the moment did take quite some time. In fact, the kids gave up holding up their posters and sat on the ground as everyone else on the plane passed by us until there was no one left and still no Sean. He was held up trying to get through the COVID quarantine checkpoint. We could see him in the distance on the other side of the glass doors, but we couldn't get to him and we didn't know what was happening. Thankfully, Once all the paperwork was sorted, and after holding our breath for what seemed like an eternity, he finally wrapped his arms around us. I cried when I saw him. How did it make you feel when you saw him? Relief, happiness, like it's all over. I hugged him. I ran and hugged him. For like 10 minutes. And how did that feel? Great. Oh, wow. That's so, so nice. The kids have changed. They're bigger since the last time I saw them. No surprise. Kids have got bigger. Mum's got shorter. <laughs> no surprise. Uh, and, yes, and you look different too. I'm feeling tired and emotional. Dad, you got a haircut. No, it's just long hair because I haven't had a haircut. <laughs> I've got a haircut. I can tell. You're looking sharp, Sax. Oh, wow. Thank God you're home. (laughs) We got home and started the process of settling in with each other, getting used to having one more person in our little family again. We were all talking at once but didn't really know what to say to each other. It's really funny. Matilda kept telling Sean really random bits of information that were not relevant to anything. And Saxon just kept giving him what we call his three-pronged cuddles, which are 
his arms plus a leg. Uh, and, yeah, I, I kept holding his hand and I think we all felt like we just wanted to make sure he was here and home. And we had a, a really lovely, fun evening together and next day, again, we were all really close. We all had the day off work and school and just spent it not doing very much, just together. Well, I'm sitting out by the pool and really enjoying being in the warmth and in the sunshine and enjoying being in my backyard and surrounded by my little castle and my kids and my kingdom and um, basking in being at home. Having Sean home safe was wonderful and surreal, but it wasn't all sunshine and roses. We had um, Laurie's birthday the day before I went back to work. And me and the kids went out the day before and got presents and had planned a, a really nice day around breakfast and cooking a cake and going down to the waterfront and going for lunch and sitting under a tree and reading a book, which is all things that we knew mum would really like. So we planned this wonderful day. and Everything went a little bit pear-shaped. Um, Sean and I had a, an argument over parenting, I saw red and, you know, accused him of forgetting how to parent properly and not understanding where the boundaries were of safe parenting. And, you know, he felt hurt and attacked. And um, I've got to say that both Laurie and I are very aware that when we've been separated for a period of time, we know that it has its challenges and we almost prepare for the fact that at some point over the first few days or week that we're back, we're going to have a blow up. And unfortunately for us, it happened on her birthday. Yeah. Anyway, that sort of just started a day that we, we tried to fix, but I was really over-emotional. I kept getting really frustrated with Sean and in my head on that day, or in my heart, I'm not sure which, I kept feeling that he was selfish and self-centred, which he's not, of course. Um, but that's how I, I felt on the day. It put a little taint on the day. So it was a shame that that happened. We tried to build around that and overcome it but it, um, it definitely got us, which I won't go into the specifics of it because it was all silly stuff, but um, it was like the little blow-up that we sort of had to have. And, yeah, we're all just finding our place again. And Sean's gone to do the supermarket shopping this morning and has rang me four times already <laughs> um, to ask, what sort of muesli bars do I get for the kids? And you know, just random questions that he <laughs> wouldn't usually ask. And he did say, oh, I'm just, my brain's not used to thinking about this stuff. And yeah, you know, we got up this morning and getting the kids ready for school and Sean sort of just wandered around from place to place in the house looking pretty lost. I don't think he knew what to do or where his place was. Uh, 
and the kids are very much still, if they need something, they ask me and just sort of ignore Sean, or not ignore him, but yeah, it's um, mum, can you help me with this? Or mum, am I allowed to do that? And, um, you know, a couple of times I've had to say, well, go and ask your dad or, you know, dad's here, he can help now. Uh, so that's really interesting. I wonder, you know, how long that will take. But, yeah, we made it. <sighs> we got through and it is amazing to have another adult in the house. It's amazing to have my other adult in the house and someone to sleep next to at night and help with the parenting. Ugh. Oh, he's calling again from the supermarket. (laughs) I'm so happy to have him home, but it is a little bit bumpy. Rhiannon and Tamara share what it's like for them when Tamara gets back from being deployed with Border Force to remote islands off the coast of PNG. I ask Rhiannon if she does anything special to prepare for Tamara's arrival home. Yeah, no, I definitely don't do anything to prepare. The only thing I do do is I make sure the house is clean so we don't have to do anything. Like, we can go out and enjoy the weekend. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't prep myself. What about the kids? Do you prepare them at all? A couple of times we've just done a surprise, so they haven't known she's coming home, which is nice, but... Um, the last time they knew you were coming home and they get really excited, which is nice. And what about when, you know, Tamara walks back in and you've had the kids for three weeks and you've got all the structures and, the, you know, how does that all go? Oh, we drive each other nuts as, you know, because realistically we have to just find our place again, don't we? Like, especially you, I think I sort of continue on, but um, you just find your place back in the family. And the worst thing for us, I think, is both of us overcompensate. So, you know, you're trying to overcompensate because you haven't been here or haven't spent that time with the kids or cooked dinners. So she just goes over the top and then I just get a little bit lazy in all honesty and don't do much. What about for you, Tamara? What's it like um, walking back into the house? Um, So I've actually talked about this with my mates um, because I've found that the longer that this has gone on, I find it harder and harder to fit back in. And it's, it's not so much about... Um, what Rhiannon's doing but they just get more used to me not being here that I feel I'm actually not needed and I know that that actually makes me a little bit emotional Um, but the kids call me Rhiannon for like two weeks and you know like it's Rhiannon come here and I'm like I'm here mate like I can I can do that for you you know and I and even Rhiannon doesn't need me like she's done everything you know in the house and you actually feel useless and I think that's probably my biggest fear is that I I like to be needed and that's the person that I am and I I like to do a lot for the family and not being needed when I come home I I really struggle. It's a bit heartbreaking. (laughs) I know. She she really does struggle with it like and it does take a little bit of time and you do wander around a bit lost like she just can't find enough to do or can't do enough for us or the kids and it is you can tell that it is really hard on her. I really feel for Tamara. As much as it's hard being left behind, it suddenly hits me just how hard it must be for the person who leaves the family. 
I feel a bit guilty for not recognising this before. Maybe I've been too focused on how lucky Sean is to go to a place as amazing as Antarctica, forgetting the sacrifices and difficulties he faces. In fact, whilst his arrival home is a whole period of readjustment for all of us, it's especially so for him. Just to reflect a little bit on the week, I've got to say that it was a, an amazing 48 hours when I got off the plane, but I started to really almost feel, um, I don't know, under pressure. And there was this feeling that I'd been away to Antarctica, so the expectation from the family is that you've been away on a holiday and I didn't feel necessarily that that was the case. I felt I'd gone from one job and been home two days and gone straight back to work into another job and I definitely felt like I had just basically been giving myself and everything about me to either work or family and I was straight back into work and family and um, you know the commitments of life and family started to weigh a bit heavily I've got to say so um, as soon as I started looking around the house and the jobs that I had to get done and then um, after airing a little bit of that with Laurie we sort of prioritised what's going on and calmed my mental state down about all that anyway it feels very good to be home we've sort of got over our blow up I've got over my mental hurdles of seeing all the jobs and the pressure of home and work-life balance and um, I've settled right back into loving the tropics and being home. Well, I reckon we got so used to being, like, doing our own sort of thing and then Dad comes back and it kind of changes a little bit. It feels a bit weird, like, there's all this relief that he's back and then you're like, oh, hold on a sec, what's going on? I'm used to him not here, I'm, I'm used to this and that. Like, one example is, um, is every night at... Every night we kind of just sat down, ate dinner. We weren't too strict about it. Sometimes we ate in front of the tally and stuff. And then and Dad's come home now and he's like, nope, you got to do this, that, not in front of the telly. Use your knife and fork, sit up straight. Yeah, it's kind of... <laughs> it's, like, weird because we've got into the habit of just doing it other way and then Dad comes in and goes, nope, nope, nope. So things weren't perfect, but we were together and could sit down and talk things out, support each other, and make sure we were okay as a family. Well, you definitely got a lot less work, and I definitely got a lot less work when Dad came back, and Matilda probably. How come? Because Dad does a lot of work. Like what? He does the lawn. He does the laundry. He does... The he does lots of stuff. I start to reflect about the whole experience of loving long distance, and overall, it's been a positive one. Our time apart gave us both space to lose ourselves and find ourselves again. You know, the thing that I love about going south is that I'm not suburban Sean who cuts the grass and loving, supportive husband and family man. I get to be 
you know, the adventurer and I don't mind pushing boundaries and seeking out new things and going to new places and I get to do that by going to Antarctica. I had time to be alone, to breathe once the kids went to bed. Most of the time I sat out by the pool just listening to the night sounds and just having space. Even the hardest parts, the fear Sean felt on the ship during and after the fire, and for me, the terrible waiting, hoping that everything was okay. I hope we never experience that again. But I know that we're stronger as a couple and understand each other better because of it. But did we find the elixir for the challenges of long-distance love? You'll have to have a go with the fluffy windsock um, and take a couple of minutes at least, like two or three minutes, and then have a go without the fluffy one, just with the normal one, and then have a go at the front. I keep the microphone. Yeah, up the front and keep the microphone on the lead side. I turn my body to the wind. Yeah. And keep it in close to my chest. Mm. I think I'll get away with it. Yeah. I've got a couple of interviews lined up for you. Oh, who? Um, I've got Jamie, I spoke to her about her bird one, and then Nadia, her story of living away from her kids and her partner and all that. So I said, would you be happy to do an interview? So she's happy to do one. Oh, great. So there's two interviews I've got. Good on you. Today was... I think some of the bigger weather that we've had, so I spent some time up on the bow capturing noise. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Do you like being home with me? Most of the time. (laughs) I don't really like you being home either. (laughs) You can't put that in the podcast. (laughs) It's this, the podcast. Making something together deciding about what to share of our lives, talking about being vulnerable to the world, discussing and creating, recording and writing, moulding and making. Sean started our podcast adventure with trepidation, feeling a bit embarrassed as he asked his workmates if he could interview them, or silly as he pulled out his recorder and talked to no one during his first audio diaries. But Soon he was calling me, excited that he'd captured some incredible sounds, like the ship breaking through ice or elephant seals fighting on the shores. And then, after the fire, his recorder became a tool giving him a reason to talk, to decipher his emotions and to download with his friends and colleagues about what had happened. For me, making this podcast gave me something to focus on beyond the day-to-day parenting, working and missing Sean. As I asked the experts around me, my friends and neighbours, how they managed living apart from loved ones, I listened and laughed and cried and felt less alone. We are now recording. So, Tamara, can you please introduce yourself for me? You were meant to go with Rhiannon first, just saying. <laughs> That's right. Okay, Rhiannon. <laughs> from there you can see... 11 highest mountains in a good weather and blue sky condition. 
Wow, that must be amazing. So different to Darwin that's so flat. It, it is, absolutely it is. Living away from home, you say I miss my children and my grandchildren, my families and my community, and especially my art station because we have art station and we go out there during holidays. And It takes a long time to get over it. But you do survive. You do survive. You cannot get salty plums anywhere over here. Mm, and can you tell, can you explain what a salty plum is? Because I think if you're not from Darwin, you're, no one will know what a salty plum is. <laughs> <laughs> a salty plum is a little slice of heaven. It's a, it's a delicacy if you're any, every, ever in Darwin, you've got to get one in here. Oh, thank you, Rhonda. That's been a pleasure. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, we'll turn it off. I felt connected, like there was a special community of people who shared with me how to love long distance and be happy. I also felt closer to Sean because he was in my head, through my ears, talking to me as I listened to his audio diaries. I love the routine of ship life, getting up early, seeing sunrise, doing a little bit of exercise, the um, standardised meal times, seeing people around the meal times to have a chat and a catch up. I'm lying in my bunk. My room's been a revolving door of people calling past and um, sitting down and having a chat and talking about the fire. And I'm um, overdosed on talking about it. Well, that was pretty cool. I was just saying how sun was going down and whales popped up right in front of me and I was just wrapping it up because it's so cold. And then I ended up skating across the ice, nearly dropping the microphone, trying to follow the whale down the side of the ship. Super cool. Sometimes I was so engrossed in listening to his voice that I felt annoyed when the live, real version of him called, interrupting the conversation I was already having with him in my head. Building this podcast while separated by thousands of kilometres of land, sea and ice, creating an audio account of our experience to share with others. That's what it is. That's what's got us through. A little rough around the edges, but as a whole... Happy. We took more notice of the small things so that we could record them. The way the sun reflects off caves in icebergs. The symphony of birdsong by our backyard pool. The subtle changes in the kids over the passage of time. And the funny, quirky, real moments in life. In an attempt to capture these tiny but special moments, we've created a gift to each other and to ourselves. Making art became our elixir to the challenges of loving from afar.
to check out some cool pics of Antarctica in all its icy beauty, head online to fromafarpodcast.net. You can also share with us your stories of living and loving from afar. How do you manage it? What's your remedy? From Afar was created and produced by me, Laura Uden, with some help from my husband, Sean, who recorded the sounds and interviews in Antarctica. I couldn't have done it without Cinnamon Nippard, who produced and edited the podcast, and Hamish Robertson, who mixed it. Big thanks to Johanna Bell for her invaluable mentoring, and of course to our two kids, Matilda and Saxon, for allowing me to record their lives for more than just a few months. If you love the music, look up Darwin singer-songwriter and now music composer for podcasts, Serena Peck. Additional ukulele track from Dominic Raslav. Thanks also to two members of the AAD, Jamie Cleland for sharing her albatross and penguin sounds and Josh Smith for sharing his whale sounds. In this episode, you heard from Vicky Allen... Tamara Travers and Rhiannon Townsend, along with Sharon Labutta from the AAD and Captain Jan Dobrogowski, the master of the MVP Everest. We thank them and also the Australian Antarctic Division and Maritime Construction Services for their support. Over the course of making From Afar, Sean and I spoke to many different people on the ship and in the Northern Territory. We loved hearing about your experiences and your fascinating jobs. Unfortunately, we couldn't fit everyone into the final edit, but we wanted to thank you for sharing your thoughts and stories with us. From Afar was created on beautiful Larrakia land and was produced with funding support from the Northern Territory Government through ArtsNT. NT.